0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 15th, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. The green card program is, in a word, disastrous. Tens of millions of people are waiting for green cards, and the approval rate for applications is very low. Cato's David Beer argues in a new paper that there's just no reason to turn away people who will contribute significantly to America's economy and society. In a lot of the fights that we see about immigration. It seems that the Republicans broadly who are up in arms about the border are genuinely, genuinely uninterested in engaging on the substantive issue of immigration. They want to talk about the border. They don't want to talk about immigrants coming to the United States and contributing to our economy and having families and uh, being Americans. To the extent that there is engagement on that subject, a lot of the discussions, a lot of the proposed solutions are either fanciful, nonsensical, or dismissive of the desires of employers, desires of individuals who want to come to the United States. Give me a picture, just respect to the green card program. What does that program look like? And what are the practical realities of how it works for people who would like to get green cards?
1: Right. So green cards are the only way to obtain naturalization and and citizenship. It's uh, legal permanent residence in the United States. And this is really the only permanent legal immigration that we have in this country. And so, right now, we have about 35 million people who are trying to obtain a green card through various uh, programs that we've uh, created, categories, And of those people, about one million will obtain, actually get the green card that they're seeking this year. So 97% of the applicants will not get a green card this year. That means just 3% are being admitted. So that is the scale of the demand for the, just the current system as it exists right now, and how restrictive it is um, in terms of how many people actually get granted legal permanent residence.
0: And for uh, people who are applying for green cards, some of them are in the United States on some other programs. Some of them are not in the United States.
1: Right. So you're talking most of the people are, are abroad uh, trying to get an immigrant visa so they can travel here. Uh, but then you have asylum seekers, you have people who are applying for adjustment of status uh, from a temporary work visa. Those are also uh, included in these numbers. So, some, some of the you're right, some of the people um, would already be in the country and they're trying to make their stay permanent or even make their stay legal in some cases. But uh, yes, it's um, really an all-inclusive look at uh, how much demand is outstripping supply, which is set by quotas and and caps and, and processing limits in the immigration law. But primarily, it's the caps that Congress last set in 1990, but really have their origins a century ago in the Immigration Act of 1924. So let's go
0: back 100 years then. What was the status of immigration to the United States? What were what were the restrictions effectively before 100 years ago?
1: Right. So before the Immigration Act of 1924, everyone was presumptively eligible to immigrate and obtain legal permanent residence, everyone in the world um and then only if you fell into a category and the government could prove that you fell into that excluded category could you be excluded from the United States there were no visas before the immigration act of 1924 and so people would just show up <laughs> just like they do at the southwest border they would show up at Ellis Island they would be screened if it didn't seem like anything was out of order then they would be admitted into the country as a permanent resident, uh, effectively, of the United States. And in those days from the 19th century, as far back as we have data on this, from the late 19th century up until the Immigration Act of of 1921, which imposed temporary quotas and caps, 98% of all of the people who were trying to get a green card got a green card that year. And so it was, in effect, a a policy of free immigration with the major exception, of course, of the Chinese Exclusion Act. And then later in the Immigration Act of, of 1917, we excluded almost the rest of Asia from that. But for the most part, if you were coming from Europe uh, you are going to be admitted to the United States in almost every case.
0: And, and so since 1924, that's effectively the policy that we've had. We've, we've gone from essentially changing the presumption of legality for somebody who's come to the United States to, I guess, a presumption of illegality. Is that fair?
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, essentially, we had the presumption of innocence uh, prior to 1924. After 1924, it's the presumption of guilt. And only if you fall into the select categories that Congress has allowed and only if you fit under the caps can you be admitted. And we saw the effect right away in the 1920s. This was one of the more fun parts of you know, looking into these uh, numbers and, and, and parsing the, the history here of how much demand has increased over the last century because of these caps. In the 1920s, uh, the admission rate fell from about 98% down to about 85% being excluded, so uh, about a 15% admission rate on any given year. We had a huge backlog by the end of the 1920s. And then in the 1930s, the Hoover administration just decided, we're just going to deny all these people. (laughs) You know, he just labeled them all public charges uh, because of the Great Depression and just denied everybody. So for a few years, there, w- there was no backlog. But then uh, under the Roosevelt administration, it started to resurge. We still had really high denial rates, visa denial rates for people who would have been eligible under the caps. But then in the late 30s, uh, had this huge backlog, mainly in Germany, of people desperate to get out of Nazi-controlled Germany. And they couldn't because of the caps on visas. And ultimately, many of those people were killed. And that story now is really the story of the immigration system for the rest of the 20th and into the 21st century. We still have persecution and tyranny around the world, but rather be, than being the beacon of of hope and the asylum for mankind that George Washington thought we should be, we are the the place that parses. Legal immigrants more than almost any other country in the world, uh, limiting legal immigration to an extremely low rate as a percentage of our population compared to other wealthy countries.
0: You mentioned the the roughly 35 million people who would like to get a green card, and presumably it's more, it's 35 million people who've applied to, to get a green card. And those are people who believe, we assume, that they're in a good position to get one right there so there there are millions more who know for that for for whatever reason they're they're not eligible to even apply to get a green card
1: yeah of course this is a this is kind of a low ball uh estimate um you know we 're just looking at what's actually manifesting itself. most people recognize the situation, recognize that they have no. Uh, realistic hope under this process, so we get three percent in, but it's not like a random three percent. It's highly skewed to immediate relatives of U.S. citizens. If you don't have an immediate relative of a U.S. citizen, your chance is less than one percent in most cases, and and in, and in many cases, it's it's zero. So, you know the the idea that this is. You know, a complete picture of demand for legal immigration is definitely not the case. But even if you look at that number and you say, "Okay, can we do something meaningful about this? I I think you can. Really, you're looking at a century of restrictions that has built up to this point. If we had allowed a natural rate of legal immigration for the last century, we would have, first of all, a much larger native-born population in the country, which would be a great thing for our economy, for the power of the United States generally. But it would also mean that future flows would be a much smaller percentage of our our total population. And this really is the the problem when you impose these restrictions. And you see it immediately in the 1920s. As soon as they imposed the restriction, it became self reinforcing in the debates in Congress about whether to keep it. Because as soon as you had that big backlog build up, everyone said, well, we can't possibly let in all these people at once, even though if we had allowed them over the course of a few years, it would have been a much more normal, steady flow and, you know, incorporate people into society in a more normal way. And unfortunately, because of a century of restrictions, we've gotten a position where it's so out of whack that to most people, of course, it seems insane to say that we should approve all of these people. But the important thing to understand is if we had a legal process to go forward, a lot of these people would be admitted in a much more regular, orderly way than they are right now. So that 35
0: million figure and that 1 million figure, that's sort of a snapshot at at a moment. But how how what was that 35 million figure the people who have applied and tried to get green cards what did that look like 10 years ago
1: yeah so 10 years ago you're looking at you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 million still but if you look back in the 1990s it was only 10 million in 1996 so it has accelerated most of this you know build up in demand you know, just as measured by the the applications has really built up in the last couple decades.
0: And it's strange to hear nativists, I suppose, is the right word, protectionists in a way that America is for Americans and et cetera, et cetera. We want people to come to the United States. and And what I hear from a lot of self-styled conservatives is we want these folks to assimilate. And to the extent that people are living here on visas, and have been waiting for years to get a green card, the appropriate rejoinder to that is, do you, though? Because it doesn't seem like you want these people to make investments in the in the United States. It doesn't seem like you want these people to feel at home. There's a good chance that a lot of these people will never get a green card within their lifetimes.
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, You know, for the people in the United States already, it's even more of a a ridiculous uh, situation because, yeah, they're, they're stuck. Sometimes they don't have any status or maybe they're having a temporary status. But the problem, of course, is how do you uh, assimilate these people and make them feel that they are part of America and they're Americans? if there's absolutely no way for them to bet on them being here permanently. And it is a policy problem that has an easy answer, of course, but it's one that because of all the other problems, the knock-on effects of this restrictive system are so extreme in terms of what we're seeing at the border, illegal immigration, all that stuff just dominates discussion of well, what should the system look like? And that's the conversation that I keep trying to get uh, into the debate and, and force people to say, okay, let's set aside what you whether you support illegal immigration or something like that. What about legal immigration? What should be the requirements to come to this country?
0: What's the breakdown of people who are trying to get green cards who are already in the United States versus not in the United States
1: I have the exact figure in uh, the report that I wrote but it's something like 85% are abroad and
0: you mentioned this this 35 million as something of a measure of the demand but can we assign a price like to to these uh, applicants in term because my guess is the willingness to pay to have that certainty of getting a green card has to be In the tens of thousands of dollars, just given the benefits of being able to contribute and earn a living and and perhaps own a home in one of the freest, most prosperous countries in the world.
1: Well, we know it's it's north of $10,000. Most of the people who are coming to the border right now are paying $10,000 to just have a shot of maybe Border Patrol is going to release me. And that's not even legal status. Yeah, and they don't have the benefit of legal status. They don't have any expectation that they'll be guaranteed to stay permanently. So yeah, it's 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 certainly tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, the people who are coming from China all the way to the border spend at least fifty to hundred thousand dollars to get to the border. So yeah, the the price that you would set for a green card. Obviously, it would depend on how restrictive the system is, how many green cards we make available. But it's tens of thousands of dollars that people would pay and it would reduce. I mean, if we set a price of $20,000, we'd instantly see a massive reduction in illegal immigration because you say, well, these people don't even have $20,000. They don't even have $10,000. How are they affording to come to the border right now? Well, they borrow against their future earnings in the United States. That's how they do it. And so the same thing would, of course, happen under a legal immigration re- regime where, you know, we charged a tariff and, and that covered whatever governmental costs of, of them coming would be. You keep saying this, and sometimes you
0: grin when you say it. The solution is actually quite simple. And I feel like you're you're doing the uh, facial tick equivalent of banging your head against the wall. Uh, in informing members of Congress that there is a fix here, and it's not that hard.
1: It's really not. You know, you look at your history, you look at the history of the United States, you look at how we have assimilated people from around the world, and you look at the experiments that are already happening, the legal immigration that's already occurring. It's been highly effective. These people have contributed enormously to the prosperity of this country, and even if we had a policy, we approve everyone in the backlog, going forward, we have a legal immigration of 5 million per year going forward, we would still not catch up in our foreign-born share of the population to what Canada is at right now. And looking forward, Canada is going to be even increasing even further, up to nearly 30% of their population being foreign-born. That is... Uh, The scale at which we have restricted our population growth through these legal immigration restrictions, and there's really no reason to believe that the United States cannot handle tens of millions of more people. If you look at just going back to the 1980s, in order to get our labor force growth rate back to that level, we'd need about 30 million more people than are expected to be entering the labor force over the next decade. So, again, we go back to this idea that we just think the limits on growth, this whole mentality, there's a fixed pie, and if more people come in, the pie gets smaller, or there's, you know, a resource constraint. That's not how the economy works. That's not how society has ever worked. And it's totally antithetical to the American dream, which is ultimately about contributing to this country.
0: David Beer is author of the new Cato paper, Green Card Approval Rate Reaches Record Lows. It's available now. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.